In the world of communications, there are so many, both familiar and untold stories surrounding the ever-evolving technology landscape. Join us as we discover, learn, and unpack the many ideas and innovations being forged within the telecom space and beyond. Welcome to 160 Characters. What was, what is, and what will be. Hi, everyone tuning in. My name is Jill Berklitz. I'm the host of 160 Characters podcast. Some of you may also know me as part of the content team at Clerk Chat. And today joining me is Pete Bernard of Edge Celsius. Did I pronounce that correctly? Mm -hmm. Edge Celsius. Welcome, Thanks. Pete. Yes. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jill, for having me. I appreciate, uh, appreciate the opportunity. Of course. So for those tuning in, Edge Celsius is Pete's own consulting company, but previously you were at Microsoft for over 10 years, I believe. So I'd love to just start there. Um, okay. In particular, I noticed your experience with Windows Phone, mobile products, followed by being six-year director for Azure Edge. So would you consider the transition from Windows Phone to Azure Edge as a shift in focus? And also, mm. how do you think your experience with mobile products then prepared you for your role as a director in Azure Edge? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I was at Microsoft for 18 years, which was a long time. Oh, I had the number wrong. Mm. It is true, more than 10 years, but it was 18 years. And then I was at 14 years in Silicon Valley before that. So doing, you know, kind of related things too. So uh, it's been quite a, quite an arc and I've really enjoyed with Edge Celsior, you know, working with companies on their edge compute kind of initiatives, kind of where 5G edge and AI come together. And that's kind of my, that's kind of my sweet spot. But, um, the question you ask is quite relevant, I think, because I came into Microsoft as like a phone person. I came from Silicon Valley. I was working in embedded Java and handsets and, uh, over the air, you know, systems to, to, you know, flash devices over cellular networks, working with telcos. And so when I came into Microsoft, they were just starting to put together this Windows Mobile at the time. They called it Windows Mobile Platform, and they were looking for people with phone expertise. And, you know, uh, that was me. There you so are. So <laughs> there I was. And uh, when I came into it, I was like, wow, you know, there's a lot of work to do here. And uh, so we, we kind of got together eventually um, and launched a series of platforms there. And I, I also... Uh, you know, ran the Portal Media Center group, that that product for a while, which turned into something called Zune. Uh, if you remember the Zune media player from the Guardian of the Galaxies uh, uh, movies, he had a Zune player. It was like a little Portal media player. So I, I was I was part of the core team on that with Jay Allard and then and worked on a product called Kin, which was Microsoft's own phone, which uh, was on the market for about 45 days. Uh, so that was a whole other discussion. But, um, you know, over time, and then eventually Microsoft decided to shut down the mobile business, and that's probably a whole other podcast. But, um, you know, if you think about it, ed edge devices, which are, you know, com smaller compute devices that are connecting over networks to the cloud, it's kind of like phones, you know, right? I mean, phones are compute devices connecting over cellular networks to the cloud. So for me, it wasn't a huge transition to get from one side to the other, especially from an engineering and technology perspective. I mean, it's semiconductors, it's radios, it's software, it's management, it's all that good stuff. It's just in a, maybe it's in a, maybe it's in a metal box that's, you know, out in the field measuring water pressure as opposed to, you know, someone's pocket playing, you know, solitaire or something. So, so 
from a technological te- technological perspective, it's pretty similar. Obviously, the business models are you know quite different, right? Phones are sold typically through telcos or in sort of association with telcos, and we can talk about that versus. The whole go-to-market and channel for edge is totally different and uh, very complicated. Yeah, so pretty close. I think it was a really cool uh, story, uh, the variety that you sort of covered and you were able to use your knowledge to help Microsoft, really. Um, And since then, you've moved on because you have your own skill set that you can now pass on to other companies and help other companies excel in ways that you know, you know how. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like wanna... to tell people that, uh, you know, I helped Microsoft make billions of dollars and I also helped them lose billions of dollars. So, uh, so I kind of broke even, I think after 18, I kind of broke even. Um, if you count, I did windows on Snapdragon. That was another one of my big initiatives, which is the, on running windows laptops on Qualcomm. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, building up those experiences about success and failure right, is really kind of what it's all about. And then being able to work with companies now and say, you know, they want to do X, it's like, okay, let's we'll figure out how to do that without sort of making gigantic mistakes uh, and doing it, you know, in, in a certain way that will be successful. So, yeah, no, it's great to be able to sort of harvest a lot of that kind of uh, knowledge and experience um, for companies that are trying to make it in the edge space. I also feel that with technology, like, many other areas, I'm going to say marketing, even though technology and marketing are totally different, there has to be a sense of being willing to test and try. And you kind of learn from those tests and trying Mm -hmm. whether they're successful or not. And then you can take that knowledge and move forward. So I I like the fact that you're, you know, willing to test and try and learn Regardless sure. Of you know, they, they say fail fast and things like that. It's interesting. I, I uh, you know, in the software business, I mean, we're kind of blessed with the ability to fail fast in the software business. We can recompile, we can ship out new code, we can deliver it over the air, we can fix bugs. You know, we've gotten, gotten into this, I would say, bad habit of shipping out devices with software that's sort of like 90% there. And then as soon as you take it out of the box, right, what do you do? You get a software update to sort of actually make it ready to use. That's not a great habit, but that, that is a, one of the luxuries of being in the software business. It's true. So now I'm thinking about you mentioning having been at Microsoft for 18 years. And so now mm. it's taking me back. For me, 18 plus years was college for me. And it's taking me back down memory lane of all the different technology I've seen since and all the different milestones over my lifetime. Mm. So I'm obviously going pre-college, most notably... You know, I'd really have to mention seeing the world transition to the internet was a Mm -hmm. major moment of my life Um, and probably the most transformative. You know, my first access to email, I think it was Juno I used maybe, um, and then AOL. I actually still think it's hilarious when I hear that, what is it, the modem handshake sounds that people play. Yeah, the the connection, I always laugh when I hear that because it reminds me. But I'd say in the last 20 years, I'm trying to think like since college, I went, you know, I started college in 98. Um, On the consumer side, I'd really have to point out everything Apple because so much of my day Mm. is around that. I mean, I'm working on a Mac, you know, laptop now. I've got my watch. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing my AirPods. I'm sitting here. Oh, you did too. Um, 
I have my phone next to me, so I can't ignore yeah. that. But I'm but I'm also going to point out other devices like a USB drive, which I relied on heavily when I first started mm. teaching in like 2005-ish. Um, mm-hmm. And even in college, I think I, I well, I'm trying to trying to think now in grad school i definitely used it um and kindle i think was a really cool Mm -hmm. uh, tech advancement but i know you've also seen so many awesome tech milestones so if you had to call out a particular tech moment or tech milestone what might it be yeah good question uh you know, it's interesting. We've been, you know, as a society, pr- pretty normalized to some pretty amazing tech, I would say, right? So, I mean, things that we were experiencing and you know, when you were experiencing back in college um, that were pretty amazing and unique are pretty, you know, baseline today, right? Um, and in fact, there's a lot of tech that, like you said, like the modem handshake and these other weird things that are anachronistic. Kind of interesting anecdote. I was in Vegas last week at Mobile World Congress. I went out uh, at a little kind of offsite with Intel to do some sort of brainstorming on the future. One of the other participants was a, a gentleman who he runs the, he, he's into like nostalgia. He's in this nostalgia business and he runs uh, uh, an Instagram page called, do you remember? And probably you might even follow this thing on Instagram, but the, do you remember it? And it's all these kind of nostalgia things about, you know, the modem sound and dial tones and stuff like that. And, and he's got like millions of followers. In fact, we went out to dinner and he's sitting there next to me. I mentioned Zune. And so he made a post about the Zune, you know, as we were talking and sent it out to his million followers about, do you remember the Zune? Um, so there's a lot of tech in our, in our collective history. Uh, like you said, that's kind of like triggers memories and experiences. But I think in terms of tech milestones, wow, there's been so many, you know, one of the things that I think sort of, I call it flip the bit, on, on the way people use things is, you know, if you think about cell phones, we had cell phones, right? We had the flip phones, we had the, what they call the T9 and people were sort of that, that little te- pad, you know? And then, you know, I think when, when the cellular networks got fast enough where the, the data, you could actually use this thing as a data connected device. I think that was a big one. That was a big one because it sort of took sort of created another screen for us to interact are with. you talking about a blackberry or a blackberry well i'm just talking about the networks different. in general like we went to kind of ah, like okay. 3g we kind of yes. went to 3g that, that, okay. that time of time frame late to you know, like 2006 2008 ish you know we had the iphone in 2007 but even before that we had blackberry and we had other devices where right. the cellular networks got good enough where this thing was like a legitimate screen you know, that you could actually interact with and make use of. And in fact, as you know, yeah, BlackBerry was one of the first kind of uh, screens that people were addicted to besides the big, the big monitor, right? So I think that was a big uh, cut right there. Um, and uh, maybe I'm a little biased coming from more of the telco networking side, but um, that was a huge one. I've had to pick one. I mean, there's, there's other, other things going on out there, more uh, obtuse um, that had impact on, you know, semiconductor fabrication and yada, yada, yada. But, but that one making the cell networks actually a legitimate data channel. Um, I think that had a big impact on people, uh, you know, in developing, in developing nations too, where they were like, oh, now I'm connected. I don't need uh, a PC or a 
a Mac or whatever. I don't need a computer. I can just have this thing and I can get connected. I can do payments. I can message. I can, you know, be connected to the bigger world, uh, over that. So the, the actual, the network connection itself, I think being data capable was probably one of the big unsung heroes of, um, the last 20 years. Changed the world. Yeah. Yeah. You now have your own, you know, consulting company where you're assisting others in scaling their businesses by using the right technology, strategies, partnerships, products, um, by leveraging edge computing, IoT, 5G, AI, um, maybe some other notable innovations. Yeah. yeah. So is there any one <laughs> particular tech innovation that businesses are most excited or curious about? And I guess, yeah. like, also, like, what are some, you know, common challenges that some yeah. of the businesses are encountering when they're adopting mm -hmm. these cutting edge technologies that maybe they weren't using prior. Yeah. But I think the thing that's the glamorous thing that everyone's excited about today that I hear about on a daily basis is around AI. Um, AI, I you know, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like consumed all the oxygen in the room. Okay, good. So at least we're talking about, you know, leveraging technology. So there's, you know, edge AI and AI vision and detecting you know, a hot dog, not a hot dog kind of stuff. And then there's the, the large language model AI where you're, you know, creating cat poems on the fly, um, you know, whatever. So businesses are always like, okay, how do I, what should I do with this? You know, yeah, a few years ago, I used to talk to people about 5G. They're like, well, okay, there's this thing called 5G. How is this going to help my business? Now they're talking about AI and, you know, where should I apply AI and the models and, and all that stuff. And so I think there's a lot of thinking about that. And, you know, we, we tend to, you know, radically overestimate the impact in the short term and, and radically underestimate the impact in the long term. I think, I think that's been said. And so I think maybe people get a little too breathless about AI in the near term, but maybe don't realize about the longer term impacts that it's going to have. Um, so, so there's a lot of discussion around that. And, uh, you know, I think for businesses, you always have to think about your outcomes. Right. So it's like, what exactly do you want to accomplish? Do you want, you know, more efficiency over your kind of labor costs? Do you want, um, you know, expansion or, or lower costs overall to your business or a better customer experience? Like, what are you trying to achieve as an outcome? And then let's kind of go back and figure out how to make that happen. And maybe AI is part of that, or maybe it isn't. But if you start with the tech, you're probably going to get in trouble. It's like, well, I want to do something with AI. So that's kind of, it sounds like a doomed project to me. Um, it's more like, well, I want to have a great customer experience where my VIPs are recognized and they have a personalized experience when they come in the door. Okay, cool. Well, AI might be part of that maybe. Uh, so, so that's kind of the conversations that typically people are having, but yeah, AI is kind of like the, you know, it's the it thing and, um, you know, it, it's pretty profound. It's so interesting. You mentioned that last part where you said, well, AI may be part of it because I, I thought of something as you were talking, I was about to ask you, do you think that companies or businesses are asking the right questions when they want to implement AI or is it more of a matter of they sort of just want to jump on the bat, the bandwagon because it's this exciting right. thing that everybody's talking about it. How can we include it? What can we yeah. do with it? You know, why are there boards and their, their leadership are yeah. asking them what's our AI strategy. So, so I think every company should have an answer and that strategy could be wait and see. Um, you know, or that strategy could be, well, we're going to use it on our manufacturing line to do product inspection, or, 
that answer could be where we're going to use it for like help agents to, to augment our helpline so people can chat with, you know, chatbots. So I think every company needs an AI strategy. And um, so it's a totally legit question to ask. It's just, you don't want to sort of tumble into it to saying, well, we need to do something with AI because you may not need to uh, immediately, depending on what your business outcomes are and your, your um, I call it sort of the envelope, the ROI envelope, right? So you want a return on investment. It needs to fit inside that envelope. Um, so you can't maybe afford to spend 10 million bucks to get, to get that result, right? It has to fit. You might have a million dollars to spend or less. So, you know, the solving problems, solving for outcomes inside of an ROI envelope is super challenging. And sometimes, sometimes you use some tech and sometimes you wait and it kind of depends. So I know on your uh, website, I was looking at some of your, I'm calling them blog posts. I know you call them uh, sure. edge notes, very My on edge brand. notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the, something that I happen to also agree with is that the tech industry is pretty infamous for these hype cycles and, you know, 5G mm -hmm. has not been an exception to that. You know, however, you know, even amid the hype, there are real opportunities for businesses, you know, to, to transform, you know, particularly with private 5G networks, mm. which you addressed. So one of um, the posts that I happened to read was titled Plumbing, Electrical, HVAC, and 5G. You um, right. mentioned this concept of tech hype and also how tech matures over time, which I love. And earlier in the article, you noted, I'm just going to read this, 5G okay. is the poster child for deep technology innovation and massive overhype. And then later you continue. But out of that tech came some real opportunities for businesses to accelerate their digital transformation journey, including private 5G. So I have like mm -hmm. a million questions. We're not going to address them all because we'll be yeah, here okay. But I want to just start with this or ask you this. Could you sure. maybe elaborate more or talk more about how 5G fits into this dual narrative of both innovation and hype? Yes, the duality of yeah. tech. So I, as I mentioned before, we always over, over uh, kind of overestimate the impact in the short run and underestimate it in the long run, right? So, so a tech comes out and, and everyone gets excited about it, like AI or 5G or any of these things. And we, we imagine all of these, you know, uh, jetpacks and living on the moon and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and yeah, it's possible. But then you know, like practically speaking, that might take years and years. I mean, I wrote a white paper for Microsoft probably six or seven years ago around 5G strategy when it was still super nascent. I talked about network slicing as you know, one of these things where you virtualize the network and you have guaranteed quality of service, blah, blah, blah. You know, only at the last week at Mobile World Congress did T-Mobile even announce they're gonna have a beta of network slicing for developers coming up. Um, so many, many years later. So um, you always have to sort of temper that initial hype with, you know, well, what's, what's, what, what's the real value prop, you know, now versus maybe 10 years from now and all these other things happen. Um, and so that's, that's kind of part of the, part of the deal, um, in working in the tech business. But I think with 5G, you know, essentially, um, it's, it's really about, like I mentioned before, it's a faster network, it's a lower latency network, it's broader propagation. And, um, you know, in some cases, and I, that's what I mentioned in the document, uh, there's a company called Freshwave in the UK, who has taken private 5G into the kind of the buildings and trade business. 
uh, and they've outfitted, um, I think the largest skyscraper in London with their solution. Um, so I don't know if it's 5G yet, but it's CBRS, so it's private cellular. So imagine, you know, in, in, when you're building out a building, you know, uh, you want to you be able to minimize your cabling costs and other things like that. So being able to do things wirelessly would save a lot of time and money and give you a lot of agility. But they're really in the buildings business. Um, and so that's a good example of where the, the tech of private 5G, which is the super complicated thing, frankly, uh, found a home, you know, with companies like Freshwave to then say, well, we're in the buildings business. And so, you know, when we're doing buildings now, we can make them, you know, highly networked with high performance networking and control systems. And that's just a tool in our toolkit. So it's, it's found its way into the toolbox of these companies. And that, that really is when the, the tech matures, right? Sort of like with the ring doorbell ring. Originally that mm -hmm. was kind of this funky, cool thing that you could buy on some funky site. Once it became uh, a box at in Home Depot on the end cap, then it, it was like, okay, well, that's where I buy my doorbells. And so now here I can, I can do this. And that's when it sort of re reached that level of maturity and scale. Um, and so I'm, whenever I see new tech, I'm always thinking about, well, where is this going to actually land? for, for customers to, to actually use like AI, when's it going to be commercialized to the point where people can deploy it, you know, without having you know, a dozen PhDs on staff, you know, trying to build an AI model to recognize a can of soup or something like that. Like it's a, they, they, as a, someone I used to work with at Microsoft used to say, well, you know, we want to sell people solutions, not chemistry sets. Right. So, <laughs> you know, so that's important. So. You know, we talked about AI now, we talked about it before when you brought it up, you know, yeah. it's really revolutionizing various sectors, healthcare, finance, manufacturing. I mean, that's just like a few, you know, you know, in healthcare, every, a diagnosis could be faster, more accurate because of maybe x-rays yeah. or MRIs, you know, predictive analytics. So, uh, you know, in finance, I imagine it assist with, you know, fraud detection somehow. So being that AI is a buzzword and a huge part of the conversation, we even were just talking about it. Yeah. You know, many, something that I, I just also said with you is that a lot of companies, I think, are sometimes very quick to adopt something before they're really, you know, educated on it, you know, or have learned about it. And being that you're a consultant, you know, you mm. have the opportunity to explain to your clients why and how you know, AI could create a competitive advantage, you know, or a better customer experience, for instance, or maybe why it's not the necessary technology for them to implement at this time. So I'm just right. curious, like, do you have any examples, you know, that your consulting company has successfully implemented AI solutions or like a favorite project that you've been a right. part of, you know, recently, like a really awesome story you could share? Yeah. I mean, so I, my, all my, um, engagements are heavily NDA'd. So, you know, I can't yes. kind of sort of spill the beans on too much, but, um, fair, fair. I would say that, you know, what I've seen, uh, I've seen some really interesting uses of AI and AI vision, AI vision, you know, is fascinating, right? Because it's using the camera as another set of eyes to do something. Um, I've seen a lot of, uh, interesting ideas around and some you know, proof concepts uh, for AI for in like quick serve restaurants. So you think about the Taco Bells and the KFCs and the McDonald's and things. Um, 
you know, how do you use AI there to, to, to be smarter about, um, you know, resources, whether those are, you know, food resources, time resources, labor resources. One of the, one of the things that I had heard, it's funny when you work with customers, they tell you these interesting business insights that you were like, no idea. Um, but you know, you've probably gone through the drive-through before you go through the drive-through and you get your bag of whatever and you drive off and then you look at it and it's the wrong stuff right? You got the wrong bag. Super frustrating. Turns out that that's a kind of a double whammy because someone else got your bag. So now two customers are unhappy, right? Uh, and it ends up costing, it'll cost a quick serve restaurant, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, uh, mm -hmm. because then they have to, you know, give them the right order. So now they're doubling the food and the times two customers. So it's a big problem, right? And so I, you know, there was a customer that was implementing a system where they would basically have a an AI vision camera above, uh, where they where the workers were putting stuff in bags and it would be able to detect like hamburger, French fries, whatever, and be able to say, is the right food going in the right bag for the right order? And if it wasn't, they had like a, a yellow, red, green light for the worker. And, and if it wasn't, it was, it was misplaced though, the red light would go on or yellow light or whatever to say, Hey, go check that bag, go check the bag. Um, and so it was, uh, really cutting down dramatically on the wrong bag, you know, scenario for quick serve restaurants using an AI vision camera, just to sort of imagine if you had another person kind of watching you put stuff in bags and saying, Hey, by the way, I think you put two French fries in there. You only needed one. Um, so that was kind of interesting. It was like, can I ask you a yeah. question? I, just as a comparison, I don't know if you have an Amazon fresh near you. I've actually never been in one. I have one right here, so I don't know why I haven't. But yeah. it's my understanding that it's it sounds like it's almost a similar concept, but camera-based, you know, where it recognizes, I guess you have to scan, you know, when you go into the store, yeah. your Amazon code, and then it recognizes when you take things off the shelf and it just automatically right. adds to your cart. Um, right. I wish I, to... now that we're having this conversation, I really wish I had been in one and I'm kind of curious and now I want to go in one yeah. because I'm curious the technology that the stores use. I just haven't had a need to go other than being curious. I wonder if, I know it's not the same, but I wonder if it's a similar concept of like this mm. camera recognizing. Well, I mean, it's a, uh, okay. it's a, it's much more technology intensive to do yeah, it, sure. to do that kind of full store experience. This is much more of like, you know, very specific and the AI model is trained on specific food items to detect orders and, and, and you're matching up the order with the thing. And there's only so many things on the menu. So right. it's a little more constrained, a lower cost, right? Implementation right. for a very specific purpose, but it's using AI vision to help double check, you know, the, the, the fast food worker to make sure the right food's in the right bag, which saves hundreds of millions of dollars, yada, yada, yada. So it's, that's great. So that, that was one of my favorite ones. Cause I was, I hadn't even thought of that. Even though we all experience that whole experience, you know, thing where you get the wrong bag. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, there's the AI vision stuff. I mean, obviously it's used for security and, you know, all these other things. And there's a lot of ethical issues around, you know, face recognition and other things like that, but it's being used more and more for, you know, manufacturing inspection on assembly lines for defects, you know, uh, freshness of food, you know, counting of inventory. A lot of this stuff is now much more automated through. AI vision and low cost cameras and sensors that can sort of see, um, maybe not super high resolution, but enough 
sort of see what's going on and sort of keep track of what's what's happening. So I think that's a that's a big one that um, is being used by retailers and manufacturing and industrial companies a lot. Uh, so one of my favorites. I wonder if um, I, I haven't thought about it until now until we had this conversation, but I wonder if any airports use any AI technology, especially like when you're scanning through security. I don't know. the. Well, I've seen here. like Delta's done a little face scan thing. Like, you know, you can, it'll recognize your face. Um, I don't know. Does that really help? I guess so. I mean, you know, I just have no idea. The, so I don't know <laughs> if that saves a, a couple of seconds or whatever. I'm sure there are ways to look at, um, you know, patterns of, 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 of human movement to detect anomalies, right? If someone's running or so there's someone moving in a certain way that might be, Hey, you know, Unusual. check out zone three here. Maybe something's going on. Uh, I'm sure that that's happening. Um, but, uh, there's actually a good book called going zero, uh, that going I just zero. read. I think Andrew McCartan, but it's about, you know, a contest to sort of stay off the grid and stay undetected for 30 days. If you stay undetected for 30 mm -hmm. days, you win $3 million and it's a contest run by the U.S. government and kind of a, a Zuckerberg type character who has this social network and they team up to sort of predictive, predictively figure out where people are at. Um, and it's pretty, you know, obviously it's a novel, science, it's science fiction, but, you know, kind of pretty realistic, uh, you know, use of all the signals, all the little trails that you're leaving in the world today uh, through closed caption television and credit cards and all kinds of things that are sort of make you very detectable. So unreal. Yeah, it's kind of spooky. Not that unreal, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, you're right. You're right. I really shouldn't have said that actually when we think about yeah, it. Yeah. So the notion I of privacy into it is kind of a whole other discussion. But but no, I think that there's so using AI to sort of I, I like to think of it as like AI as a superpower, adding a superpower to an employee is fantastic. Um, you know, replacing employees, hmm not as good, uh, but, you know, super, supercharging them to make them, you know, less, make less mistakes or, you know, to do, be able to do more, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of place for it when it comes to efficiency, productivity, reducing errors, you know, there are for sure ways where it could act as a useful tool. Yeah. As an additive, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully it's okay. We have covered such a wide range of yeah, topics. I know your experiences, technological advancements. You know, maybe some challenges in adopting technology, um, hmm. the significance of edge computing, private five G networks, and of course the impacts of AI. How could we forget that? Um, of course. In your extensive career journey, including your consulting company. You've witnessed and contributed to the evolution of technology across various domains. Do you think you could share your vision for the future of technology and how the convergence of all of these innovations? How does it um, all? Well, kind of impact, work? like, I don't know, I'm thinking like <clears throat> for the next 10 years or, you know. Yeah. The, well, well, here's the thing. Like, yeah, the thing that's kind of on my mind, and I actually wrote a paper about this to an edge note about this. And I think we start to need to noodle on it is the environmental kind of the collision of environmental resources and tech. And I think that's a hot topic for me and hopefully it will be for everyone. And, uh, the fact is, you know, we don't have enough 
electricity and water, uh, frankly, to power our tech. Uh, you know, we're talking about AI and AI workloads, you know, to do that cat poem that we talked about is going to burn a lot of electricity and a lot of water for cooling, a lot of groundwater. And if you look at the curves, you know, um, the, the appetite for running high performance workloads is, is, is kind of skyrocketing. And, you know, as you know, our environmental resources are not skyrocketing. In fact, I saw, I was at MWC last week and someone said, essentially we, we are consuming enough resources as a population for like two earths. So we like need another earth basically, or we need to really dial down our consumption of electricity and water and other resources. Never mind all of the kind of uh, mining and other minerals we need to, to do batteries and things like that. So that's kind of like, I mean, that's kind of a little dark, but I'm concerned that we are not, the, the, the lines are not converging. They're kind of going this way. And I think we need to really be much smarter and more transparent about the environmental resources being used by tech so that people can make informed decisions about when to use it and when not to use it. Um, and so, you know, if I know that every time I do a cat poem, I'm kind of, you know, killing a three trees, um, maybe I won't do the cat poem. Um, uh, so, so we need to think about that. And there are, there are some really good initiatives out there, uh, in terms of water recycling and, you know, lower power silicon and, um, you know, um, alternative fuels, you know, hydrogen and, and things like that. Uh, but it's going to be, you know, speaking of next 10 years, that's kind of really the challenge for the next 10 years is how do we actually maintain and improve the technology, uh, ecosystem while balancing our environmental resources. So I think that's kind of, um, top of mind for me. Such an excellent point that I don't think enough people think of, you know, when it comes to using technology and adopting technology. I mean, I just think I don't even have, in theory, that much tech happening right now. But between my light and my mic and my laptop, which is connected to Wi-Fi, which is probably connected to something else. I mean, that's a lot of energy that I'm using just in this hour that we're on the phone and I'm one person. So now shift to something like an enterprise, you know, where the technology is beyond right. data centers, you know, big giant data centers that are multiple football fields and they're springing up like weeds around the world. In fact, there's some countries like Singapore has a moratorium on data centers. So you're not allowed to build one in there anymore because they don't have enough electricity to power any more data centers. They need the public grid to power people's houses. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of, um, a tricky one that we need to figure out. And, uh, um, you know, it's just something we need to be more cognizant of. And hopefully that as we as a society evolve with this tech, um, that becomes more normalized. We are also kind of thinking about the footprint and impact that it's having on the bigger picture. I'm certainly going to be thinking about that after our chat. Good, it's an important good. conversation to have that we probably should encourage more people to have. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so I, so I wrote that paper on as an edge note on edgecelsior.com about it. I also created, and this is kind of a fun thing is I created a series of TikToks. Uh, that explain that problem and challenge. Uh, so it's like a five-part series on TikTok of, of videos that talk about the, I think I called it AI's environmental Armageddon, which is a little bit dark. But, you know, yeah, what's what's happening there and how do we do better? But uh, so if you go on TikTok or my YouTube channel, 
or whatever you can see. You can see that if you don't feel like reading. You know, but I think that's true. so awesome. I mean, look at what you just did. You are leaning into so many different methods of content to reach different people because not everybody wants to read an edge note and not everybody right. wants to be on TikTok. So now you've that's given right. everybody an opportunity to find this information, but in a way they want to consume it. So right. bravo to you. Thank you. Well, the, you know, the, the Venn diagram overlap of LinkedIn and TikTok is like zero, basically. So <laughs> I figured, well, I'll do the LinkedIn crowd. You get the edge note and it's nice, but then I will, I will slice and dice it with some cool heavy metal music and put it on TikTok for everybody else. So, so that was going to actually be my very last question. You just answered oh, okay. part of it. If anybody wants to reach out to you or find you, yes. what is the best way for them to do it? I know you just well, mentioned TikTok, but what's your TikTok handle, you, I guess? Uh, at Ed Shelsior, at Ed Shelsior. Uh, but if you go to edgeshelsior.com, you, you can get to me. You can contact me. You can reach me on LinkedIn. I have a YouTube channel. You can subscribe there. You can see I have a podcast show called The Ed Shelsior Show as well. And, um, and you can reach my TikTok and all that other good stuff, but it's is kind of the, the landing point and you can then go and you can actually read documents if you like reading, or you can, you know, watch musical videos of the same content if you want to. <laughs> Thanks so much, Pete. We're going to be sure to share all of that in our show notes also. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation and I really appreciate the, the questions and the, the thoughtfulness that you put behind it. A hundred percent. And I look forward to more conversations off the podcast in the future. Sounds good. All right. Talk thanks. Soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 160 Characters podcast powered by Clerk Chat. If you're fascinated by technology and innovation in telecom, head over to 160.fm or click the link in the show notes so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please take a look at our blog.